Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture is from Exodus 20, 1 to 3, and Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Amen. Okay. Good morning again. Thank you, Tess, for reading for us today. Uh, Right. All right. Uh, Welcome and good morning again. We, as you heard from our scripture passage today, we are in Exodus now, and we're actually going to start a new series looking at the Ten Commandments, and let me tell you why. We're doing that because increasingly we're living in a fragmented society. As uh, we live in a fragmented society, the question now for us has to be no longer just, what do I believe? But how do I live out that belief? That if, if you look to social media outlets right now, as, as Wei already mentioned earlier in the service, if you're looking to those places to ask, how now shall I live, what you're going to find are not arguments, you're going to find assertions. I actually I saw an exchange the other day where each party was arguing over what, will lead to hum, what, what would lead to human flourishing. And conversely, what was actually dehumanizing out there. And the problem is, is without a shared moral framework, without a shared foundation, you can't actually argue properly. It's just going to be assertions thrown at each other. Last week, we celebrated Easter here at Redeemer Lincoln Square. And Easter is about Jesus bringing about redemption and restoration to all of creation. And that's 
what we know in the future, but that, that, if that's true, if that's assured, then the question must be, how now shall we live in light of that? And there's a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of people saying a lot of things about how now you shall live. And so I think Jesus is very clear that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And that means the commands in the Old Testament are there for us, for our edification, for our guidance. And to live in light of them, therefore, is not a restrictive measure that keeps us from from freedom, but actually can be the ground to bring in true freedom. If Jesus summarized all the commandments into two, right? He says, love God and love your neighbor. That means the Ten Commandments, if you zoom back out, parses out what that looks like. And so what we're going to do today, and really for the next couple of weeks, is we're going to do an in-depth study on the nature of the Ten Commandments and then how Jesus relates to them and transforms them for us. If you find yourself today, if you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm not sure if I actually do believe in Christianity, or if you're very sure that you don't believe, the way you can still get value out of this is that you can actually come through and see some of the categorical differences between Christianity and other faiths. In fact, every other faith actually has very similar ethics, very similar morals, but it's important to see where the differences are and why those differences are there. Mostly we're just asking, and what we should be asking is, is what's going to lead to human flourishing? What's going to actually lead to human flourishing in the world and in my personal life? Let's start with our first commandment today. And what we find here are three things. We see how the law brings freedom, how they come from grace, but then how do we actually become changed? So how, therefore, the law brings freedom, how uh, they come from grace, but then how do we actually change? So number one, the law brings freedom. That's a strange phrase if you actually think about it for a second. Because if you, the modern conception of law is restrictive. It's to, it's to stop things. It's to uh, tell us what we can and can't do. And you should ask yourself, well, how is that actually freeing? Well, the hint for us in our text, if you look at our, our passage, it, it's, the question we have to ask even before we get to the law is the basis for it. What happens before it? And what we're told in, in verse 2 is before anything else is said, before the law is actually given, I, I count one, two, three, four, five. There are six words. I am the Lord your God. And most of us just sort of zoom right on past that because you're looking to get to the first commandment. But you have to start there. Because what we don't often consider is that when God says that I am the Lord your God, he is giving us his identity and therefore the basis for the law. If you go to um, Leviticus 19, it's, it's actually uh, an interesting chapter to look at and can actually help us here because in, in Leviticus 19, it looks like a hodgepodge of just a bunch of different laws, and it looks kind of chaotic, actually. You see domestic law there. There's household law. There's agrarian law. There's sexual law. They just, there doesn't seem like there's a rhyme or reason. But if you count the amount of phrases, I am the Lord your God shows up, I am the Lord. It's actually 16 times in 19 verses. Sorry, in, 19, in, in chapter 19. What, what's happening there is that even though life is chaotic and there's all these different views, the, the thing that keeps it all together is God's nature. And, it's, and the reason why it's being repeated for us over and over in Leviticus 19 and why it's being said here at the very beginning is because that's the basis 
by which we're going to be able to live out any of this. That he is the Lord our God. And the, in our text uh, that's in your bulletin, it says Lord in lowercase. But actually, if you look in, in most Bibles, it's all in uppercase. And the reason why is it's actually a very particular Hebrew word, which is Yahweh. And Yahweh is a personal term for God. If that term showed up in a synagogue today, they would actually wouldn't even read that word in Hebrew because it was so personal, it's so special, it's almost too informal for God to say that phrase about himself to us. And this is important why this matters. Um, let me try to use an illustration. A friend of mine, oh, this is a true story, my friend of mine actually bought a new car, um, and I... I don't know if he was excited. I don't know if he just forgot. But he drove. He, he had, actually hadn't had a car in a long time, or maybe maybe this is the first time. I don't even know because it was he was in college. Um, he got a new car and he drove it to a gas station. And instead of putting unleaded in it, he put diesel in it. And he started driving it off. And in, within a few miles, it just stopped. Couldn't start. Couldn't do it. Didn't, and and um, I have, you know, imagine this. Imagine if. This didn't happen, but I'm embellishing now. Let's say he went into the glove compartment of his, of his car and pulls out the owner's manual. And he reads there that actually this car only takes unleaded fuel. He knew that. He just didn't put it in the right nozzle. But let's say he, he reads and says, it, it doesn't take unleaded fuel. Sorry, it only takes unleaded fuel. What if he slams that owner's manual down and says, this is ridiculous? I want to be free with this car. I don't want these restrictions. I want to drive my car the way I want, um, the, uh, where I want, when I want, however I want. I don't want these restrictions. I want to put whatever kind of gas I want into the tank. Now, if he said that, you would think he'd be kind of crazy. Because why? Because we know that there is a way to live in line with what it means to have a car. And your car won't be a working car for long if you live any way you want with it. Because your car only works in in line with it. So when God says this, when he says, I am the Lord your God. What he's, there's so much going on in there. What he's saying is, I created you. I know you. I know it will bring about human flourishing. I know how you should live in line with your nature. And that means in the Ten Commandments... What we're about to read is not an arbitrary set of rules and moralities. They're not some ritualistic way to kind of prove your loyalty. No, good laws, real commandments show you how you to, for you to live in line with your nature so there could be true freedom in your life because that shows you the owner's manual that will bring about human flourishing. And so when God is saying, I am the Lord, he is saying, I created, I made you, I know what you need, I know it will make you free. I have the owner's manual for your life. And the question before we move on then is, is, do we believe that? Do we live in light of that? Do we, do we want that? See, we're like, oh, I don't want the restriction. But you know what? When, that, when, that, when the goldfish goes out of the aquarium and he's like, freedom, he's not free. He's dead. Because li- the goldfish living in, in line with his nature in the fish tank is where he's going to be happier, where he's going to actually have life. In goldfish flourishing. The question is, do we want the same? That's the first point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, 
after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Second point. The law of God brings freedom, but secondly, they come from grace. Go back to verse 2. What happens? Right after God says, I am the Lord your God, there's another phrase here. He doesn't stop there. He says, I'm the Lord your God who did what? Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I find it endlessly interesting that the first command that comes to a people who have been liberated is have no other gods before me. Which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because shouldn't it be that, you know, you're liberated, great, you're finally free. And yet, what happens here when he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, he's trying to still communicate something about how we should keep these commands. And the intuition and motivation for keeping these commands. Let me try to use an illustration uh, for this that I got from um, British minister Charles Spurgeon. It's too good. I've used it before. It's too good not to use again. He says this. He says, imagine there's a gardener that grew a carrot. And it was a big carrot. It was a good carrot. And he goes to the king and he says, oh, great king, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown. And I want to give it to you because you're the, you're, you are the king that I love. You're the greatest king that I know. So as a token of my love, here's my carrot. And he begins to walk away. And the king stops him and says, listen, I see how much you love me. I see how much this means to you. You know what? I want to see you flourish. And so I'm going to give you the acre of land that's next to you so you can be an even better gardener. And the, and the, and the gardener goes home rejoicing. But there was a, a, a nobleman in the court that saw this happen. He says, whoa. That's too easy. If you get an acre of land for a carrot, I raise horses. What would happen if I could bring a horse? So the next day, he brings a horse. He goes to the king and says, oh, great king. Here's a horse. It's the greatest horse I've ever raised. I want you to have this horse as a symbol of my love and honor. The king, being wise and, and fairly shrewd, says, thank you for the horse. And begins to walk away. The nobleman says, wait, what the heck? What gives? And the king turned around and said, that gardener gave me a carrot, but you gave me a horse, but you gave yourself a horse. And I think what's, in, what's great about that illustration is this. Two people, same action, giving something. They both give gifts, but for totally different reasons. One person does it out of the joy of the task. That it was, it was hard work to give over that carrot it was the best carrot ever, but it helped him partake in the joy of living in line with his nature. But the nobleman gave the, a gift as well, but it was not joy. It was work to get something. He gave something to get something out of it. When God says in verse 2, I have brought you up out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I've already saved you. What he's trying to do is he's trying to create a context for you to be able to give a carrot and not a horse. He's trying to say 
the point of the Ten Commandments, what I'm about to say is not something for, here's what I've done for you. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, and now I want you to show your loyalty by, by doing the Ten Commandments. He's saying, no, I already saved you. You're already in. I am already your God. I am the Lord, your God. This is not obey, and then you're saved. It's you're saved. Now don't you want to live in line with what human flourishing looks like? If you, the most important thing I would like for you to hear today, if you hear nothing else, it's this. It's that grace comes before the commands. In fact, grace triggers the commandments. It's because you have been saved. It's because I'm with you here and now. Here's how to live. Here's how to live in light of the grace. And it's almost like, you can almost see the logical progression, right? Number one, I am your God. Number two, I created you. Number three, I saved you. Obviously, I care about you. Therefore, here is what is going to lead a life of human flourishing. It's not I've given the law to be redeemed. It's you've been redeemed. And so don't you now want to live out the law? And therefore, it, the question, I guess, for all of us, and I ask myself this, is, is that out of joy and gratitude? I don't know if we, we approach it that way. We don't approach it that way. It's, it, do we approach it with something I have to do, or is it, do we approach it in a way that where we say this is something I want to do? If somebody else saves your life, let's say you're in your apartment, in your house, whatever, and somebody, for reasons that are not rational, for reasons that, are, that go beyond your mentality, they come in and save you out of a burning home, and now you're outside with this individual. What are you going to say to them? Do you, I tell you what you're not going to say. You're not going to say this. Hey, don't expect anything from me, okay? I'm living my own life. I was doing my own thing. I didn't ask for that. You're not going to do that. What you're going to say is this. You're going to say, oh, my goodness, who are you? What made you do that? I have no idea what made you save me. I don't, I don't uh, but I want to get to know you. Who are you? I wouldn't be here without you. Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that that you think that you need or want or want from me, I'd like to just be in relationship with you. By the way, if, if, if you don't want to follow, if you, don't want, if you have no desire for that, if you have no desire for, uh, you know, put it this way. I've actually said this to my kids before. Laws are really relationships, if you think about it. And actually, we're all living relational laws together, right? When we sit and at a table and one of us doesn't punch the other one, because why? We know there's an unwritten rule that when you're drinking coffee, don't punch each other. That's a law. You're living by law. laws. Are, the reason why God gave Adam and Eve, don't eat from that fruit, is that there would be that way there'd be something that would bind them in a relationship together. So all laws kind of do that. So if you don't want the laws, you have to almost ask yourself, do you really, do you, are, do you really want the relationship in the first place? That means following and obeying doesn't save you. You're already saved. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've already brought you out of the economic and literal slavery. I am a God of grace. Sit in that. Let that move your life, and then you'll be able to give a carrot and not a horse. God is saying it's not so much that you have a heart for me. It's that I've already had a heart for you. And that's, that's all the difference in the world, friends. That every other religion, every other non-religion that I know of, Everything in the world is basically saying, secular or religious, is saying, obey, and then you're in. Go to social media for a, little world, for a little while, and the world says, obey, and then we will accept you. God here is saying, no, I've already accepted you. 
I'm a God of grace. This is completely different. Yes, he's a God of justice. That's why he's a liberator. He's a freer. He's a breaker of change. He's a destroyer of evil. He already says that in all in verse 2. I've brought you up and out. Know his identity. Listen to, listen to who, what he's saying. And if you don't want to listen, then you don't want the Ten Commandments, and you won't seek them out. And so, again, I've asked myself this whole week, are we giving to God to get something, a horse? Or are we giving to God just to give to God because of who he is? Do you, another way to put it is, is, do you live every day, do you live, in, do you live out, I'm accepted already? Therefore, I obey. Or is it still I obey, and then now I know I'm accepted? It's all the difference in the world. Last point. Now, how do we change? Right? It's, it's you know, now, we're waiting now to, we're finally getting to the first commandment, which is in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. But he's saying this to a people who were formerly enslaved. Why tell a group of people who were politically and economically and racially Enslaved, why is God warning them not to have other gods before them? I think the answer is because somehow God knows that real enslavement is not just political. It's not just racial. It's not just economic. That other gods are not a reference to fake deities. Other gods are references to other powers and principalities and forces that are in your life that are functioning as those deities. This is where it's endlessly fascinating for me as an American. Americans like to say, hey, I want to live free. And yet the first commandment is uncomfortably telling us that the human heart, the most important thing that you need to remember is that that you're not. You're You're putting yourself under the enslavement of other things. And therefore, it's not possible to live unencumbered freedom. You've always bound yourself to something. And that if that means if you're not under God, what this text is saying is that you've put yourself under something else. Put anything in the place of God and it'll drive you into the ground. So for instance, if, if you, you know, it can be your health, it can be your work, it can be your friendships, it can be your experiences. These things can be, are good things almost always. But you put them in a certain place, it's like filling your car with diesel instead of unleaded. It's making central something that shouldn't be central. So for instance, sex and sexual identity is good, but when that becomes the main thing in your life, it leads to breakdown. Family, children, spouses. The desire for family, children, and spouses are good things, but when you make them central, it leads to breakdown. Money, work are good things, but when they become the main thing about who you are and what you do, it leads to breakdown. That's why... If you go to the Luke 4 passage that, we, that was just read, where Jesus is being tempted uh, by Satan in the wilderness. He's been in the desert for 40 days. He's incredibly hungry. He, he's tired. And Satan offers him bread and food and all the kingdoms of the world, which, by the way, are all good things. What is Jesus' answer to them? If you go to verse 8, it's, this is Jesus' weapon to combat taking good things like food and bread and, and the kingdoms that are all rightly, rightfully his and making them t- ultimate things. You know what he says? He says, worship, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is a direct connection to have no other gods before me. It's Jesus himself knowing that power and approval and comfort and control and all these money and bread and kingdoms, 
These are good things, but if they're in the place of God, they don't, they won't be enough. And folks, we say this at Lincoln Square a lot, but the reason why we do is because this is the thing that our hearts are, are constantly going to. The first command is important because it recognizes our human heart's tendency to hope and to love and to rest in other things other than him. And so what God is saying is this, I just brought you out of slavery. Don't you dare go straight back into it. I brought you out of political and economic and racial enslavement. Don't put yourself into emotional and spiritual and actual enslavement. That is what our society just doesn't get. That you, and in fact, real enslavement happens when you, live, when you think you're politically and economically and sexually and monetarily and, and you know, relationally free. You're, often you're shackled and cuffed and caught, and you don't even know it. Other gods are slavery. God is saying here, I'm your God, or something else is functioning as your God. So, I don't want to, I don't, I want to put too fine a point on this, um, but why do we talk about this at our church? We talk about our church so much because we can't go help other people economically or politically or in reality if we're actually still enslaved. Worse, if you're freeing people physically but not spiritually, then actually all you're doing them is leading them from one enslavement to another enslavement. So Redeemer Lincoln Square, what we're saying is we're, we're, our hearts are bound by the law of love. And that means God's grace should compel us to put this first in our life. And it's often not. Because think about it. Maybe, maybe today, when you're angry about your boss being really hard at you, Maybe, just maybe, it's not because of the boss, but more because you thought the job was going to fulfill you in ways that it's not, it's not able to fulfill you. Maybe you're not anxious just because of how, you know, will this relationship work out? Well, am I going to ever get in a relationship? Where are the relationships of my life? Maybe the anxiety is because beneath it all, there's a worry that if I don't get, if I don't have, this, is, this doesn't come to fruition. Maybe I never will find somebody. Maybe I'll never be loved. Maybe it's not my spouse's fault so much as I'm looking for or looking to my spouse for things that that spouse can't actually give you. Again, relationships, jobs, and spouses were never built to give you ultimate fulfillment. They can't and they won't. And so if you believe in God at all, that he created this world, then we have to expect that the only way that we can live well in it is to follow how we were built, by placing him first. Keeping the law will lead to freedom and not breakdown. And there's no, I, for, I, I challenge you, tell me any other way for you to actually be free. I'll be, we're going to do a Q&R after this. Feel free to text in those ways. And we can continue that dialogue. So how do you get change in your life then? How do you get the freedom? If you know that I, if it's not I obey and then I'm accepted, I'm accepted therefore I obey. The best way that I know is to meditate on this passage, and, passage and, and go back to verse 2 where it says, I am the Lord your God. He wants us to rest in that. And I, I've been asking myself this week, what's the best way for you and I to know that he is our God? Yes, words are good. Yes, uh, reading about it is good. But deeds are better. It's in Jesus' life and death when we see him, how he was given, how he gave himself to us, how he lived how he died for us, how he 
how he, how he made us his love. When that comes into our hearts, then what happens is these commands then are not, I have to, but I want to. His love for me makes my love for him then spill out. And that brings about that deep life change. You know what? I'm saying these words to you right now, and I think you might have heard them before, but that, see, they just end up being words when they just, they just stay in that kind of cognitive realm. I was, um, this past week I was in, in a pretty big funk. Uh, the, the pandemic has made me go into fun, ups and downs and funks a lot more often. Um, and I'm not as a soci- socially, I'm not as emotionally aware as I'd like to be. My wife is better at it. And she says, well, of course you're going to be in a funk. When you're focused, when, you, when you've put at the center current events, relationships, when you're just looking at your life, she calls it navel-gazing, but when you're just sort of looking around, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And so I open, I open the Psalms, and I read the first, you know, I, I, de- I did what, you know, what all the pastors tell you not to do, which is this, when you open a book and go like that, what's it going to say to me? I did that, and Psalm 16 showed up. And it says this, The Lord is my portion and my cup. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Therefore, my heart is glad and I will dwell secure. Words. But I started saying them over and over again. Wait a second. The Lord is my portion and my cup. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And therefore, my heart is glad. Like the psalmist is talking to himself. He's saying, well, why, why, how can I, where's my real joy? Where's my glad? Well, it's in his, my beautiful inheritance. As I read that over and over, I'm like, oh, my dwelling is there. He's my cup. He's my inheritance. Jesus makes that sure. He shows it. The promises are fulfilled. It's happening there. And what happened is, is slowly but surely, yeah, the problems are still there. My anxieties are still there. The issues are still there. But you know what? They had less of a control on my life. They had less of a say on my emotional and spiritual status. They didn't have the same weight because the resurrection and the truth and the hope slowly, slowly just a little bit more began to dawn on me. Isn't it interesting? Last thing I'll say here is this. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was raised from the dead, in his perfected body, the scars were still there? I don't think that's just for Jesus. I think in resurrected bodies, our scars will still be there. And you say, well, wait, wait a second, how's that possible? Isn't it supposed to, aren't our bodies supposed to be renewed and all fixed and better? Yes, and yet the scars are going to be there because somehow the scars are going to show that the pain of this world, the badness of this world is going to be made beautiful in the resurrected world. That means today's scars, somehow the resurrection makes them have, makes us have a better joy in God because of them. And I'm not sure quite how that happens, but that's actually what the promise is being said to us. It's also, if you think about it, that's how life works. I enjoy God better in the bad because I come to need him more. I come to see him more. I come to rely on him more. I think it's the same for all of us, that it's, it's the scars, your mess-ups that, that teach us wisdom, right? When you get hurt, you're, you're less like, likely, hopefully, to do the same thing over again. So they're, they're actually used in our lives. They bring us closer to him. Don't just look and say, I want a perfect life where I never have any injuries or hurts. Somehow the hurts inside of you transform you and bring you closer to him. And you wouldn't have as much wisdom without them. 
And if that's actually true, then the answer is that somehow we're going to be able to help people better. We're going to be able to love people better because of what's happened, because of the pandemic, because of the, of the badness. Because of when the God's resurrected power goes in and wins through those scars and the evil of this world are, are, is finally trounced, that it has no more full power over our lives, that even the bad things that you have done or that have left undone, all those things are transformed. Somehow it's going to make it taste better and bring you closer to the glory of who he is. And if you know that about yourself, you know what happens? What are you waiting for? Right? What, 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 what are we waiting around? Why am I moping around? Why am I sitting around? I mean, th- there is so much that can be done now. If the bad is always being transferred, transferred, transformed into good, then that means the person's bad over there that you can't stand, that's going to be transformed into good. And therefore, let's stop focusing on that and love and serve and live. We have powerful reasons right now to go out into, into each other's lives, as we talked about in membership, but also in the lives of this world. We have powerful reasons to do that, to live out in community, in love, in each other's lives. Will you do that? Start with the law. Start with what the the, the law starts with, which is this. I am the Lord your God who has already brought you up and out of slavery. Let's live in light of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I live as if you're my God. Intellectually, I might. Sundays, I might. But when Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and the, and the, and the cares of this world are on us, it's hard to remember, Father. And yet when we place you in your proper position, everything else falls, Father, more in line. It places the Actually, even the scars and the hurts, it even places those things in their right positions. Hurtful, hard, but not overbearing. Not impossible to live with joy and love and service and care. Father, I don't know where everybody else is in this room, but I know that we're all walking on our own scars, our own wounds from this, this year in various ways. Some more tangible than others. Some more physical than others. But we all have them. I pray that you... We will realize through them we can get to know you more. We can, know, we can have one more taste of what you went through, the hardness. We also know you're not distant from us in our own hurts. You've been there first. You've been through them. I pray that we will ask and seek and sit and be with you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.